Candice and Allison, and this is our podcast, Searching for Vitality. Today, we are interviewing Gavin Schneider, who is owner of Stronger Performance Physical Therapist, as well. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, like your credentials, why you got into physical therapy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so uh, we are doctorate level profession, so by the degree I am a doctorate of physical therapy. Um, my background is strength and conditioning. Um, so I hold a CSCS. Um, and then I am also a CrossFit level one coach as well. Um, so yeah, I own stronger physical therapy and performance, which is located inside of a gym. Um, it is non-traditional, uh, healthcare, um, physical therapy, fitness blend, if you want to call it that. Um, I started, you know, traditionally kind of like most do with physical therapy. Um, I tore my ACL in high school, went through physical therapy, had multiple bouts of physical therapy with different things as I grew up. And that's what kind of stemmed my interest. Um, I went to PT school in Omaha at UNMC and then kind of quickly found out that traditional healthcare uh, was not for me. (laughs) Um, So I worked traditional healthcare for about three years out of school um, and kind of hit a breaking point where I decided that I was either going to leave the profession entirely or I was going to do something that I felt was actually helpful to people. Um, And that was kind of the stronger physical therapy was born then. Um, And so here we are. (laughs) Is that kind of why you decided to work at a gym instead of a typical office? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I really, I really believe you know, at the base of everything, you know, we can do as people to help other people. The one thing that is most important is the fitness aspect, you know, and I really at the the most basic level, hope that for everybody I see that if they aren't already doing some kind of program, and I don't care what it is, you know, Zumba, CrossFit, whatever you want to do, just something that they're actually working towards from a fitness aspect that, if they're not doing it already, I, I hope that at the base level, I'm instilling that in them during the process. And hopefully they continue that for a lifetime. Cause to me, that's the most impactful thing that I can do for a human. Um, you know, helping with pain and, and all those things are great, but fitness just is, it's a life-changing thing and it can literally, you know, save your life. Um, you know, there's tons of research that shows that, the risk of mortality and versus, you know, if you're sedentary or active and how that decreases your risk, that's kind of like my baseline thing. So that's, to me, the gym was the perfect place to do it. So you said that, um, kind of the more traditional approach you found out was not for you. Why Mm -hmm. is that? And then what things are you currently doing differently than what you might find in your more clinical setting? Uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, I'll try not to go too far down the rabbit hole here. Um, you know, so baseline, biggest thing for me is, you know, traditional healthcare is not patient-centered in my mind. Um, you know, it's it's provider and third-party controlled. Um, you, so, you know, your insurance company is dictating the care that you get um, and ultimately dictating the care that I can provide. Um, so, you know, you're, you're billing what pays best, um, which kind of sounds bad. 
Um, but it is a business, unfortunately, when it comes to, you know, the healthcare network. And so that was one of the big things for me is that, you know, it never, when I was working with a patient, it was never really what I thought was best for the patient. It was, you know, what could I provide the patient that was good for them, but also paid really well, <laughs> um, and try to figure out how to mesh those two things together. And so that was one of the big things for me is that I never felt that the patient was in control of the plan of care. And I really felt that it should be a teamwork situation, that it shouldn't be like a dictatorship. Um, and then also just the time to spend with people. Uh, you know, traditional healthcare, especially, I mean, as you guys have probably ran into in any sort of healthcare doctors, you know, any of that stuff, you're going to see your primary person, your physical therapist, your doc for 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and then you're going to get carted off to a nurse or a PTA or a tech of some sort, and they're going to do the bulk of the work. Um, so, you know, your, your higher level practitioners are seeing, you know, 20 people a day. Um, they're not building very good relationships with their clients. Um, and it's just really built on the fact of, you know, we call it the kind of the middle clinic, um, get them in, get them out, get them somewhat better um, and get them on their way. And that, I mean, that's a big thing for me is like, I, I really want to be kind of your primary care PT. Like I want to have conversations about your sleep, your nutrition, what are your habits, you know, because those are all factors that dictate how you're going to recover from an injury um not just the pain and what kind of fluffy things can i do for you and these little exercises like your whole lifestyle affects your symptoms and i want to manage all of it i don't want to just give you this little cookie cutter approach and then not you know not address maybe their really poor sleep habits which could be a major factor in why they're still having pain right now especially if we're talking chronic pain if I'm not addressing that, I'm literally setting that person up to fail. Um, and so those were the big things for me of why, you know, I felt that I just needed to get out of that system and be able to provide care that is patient led. You know, when somebody comes to me, we're building a team, you know, I'm not here to dictate their plan of care. I'm here to support their plan of care. You know, that I have a little bit of knowledge that I can provide somebody to help support the goals that they want instead of me just saying, this is it this is how I can do it. And you either run with it or go do something else. And I love how you thought about doing like everything all around instead of the, like you said, just, oh, you have the pain, let's fix it. And then not really delving deep, deeper into, well, why you're having that pain. And um, I'm someone that's done it too, where if I'm in pain, that's when I'll go to a physical therapist or that's where um, I'm going to see her dad tomorrow because I have sciatic problems because I slept wrong or mm -hmm. wrong. And my um, dad's a chiropractor. Yeah, that's awesome. I guess, yeah. I guess part of me, I was thinking is I actually, I mean, I don't look it, but I used to do CrossFit as well for a while. Mm -hmm. And I noticed like even times I would do these small movements and then I would notice like I'm out for like a week because I would hurt myself. So mm -hmm. when you do the physical therapy, um, I guess it's a two-part question is um, do you kind of help people uh, with it? physical therapy, when you're doing the crossfitters or the ones that are more fit, do you kind of make sure that they're doing the proper movements when they're going to be in the gym, as well as, um, with, with physical therapy, do people go to you before they're in pain or is that better to do that to get see before it gets worse? Yeah. Um, 
so the the first part with like cross you know crossfit's a great example because everybody like is like immediately like never crossfit right like it's the the scariest thing out there um which is funny because statistically speaking not that i want to dive too much in this right now but you know like if you put crossfit like on a realm of like injury rates um it's actually very very consistent with like powerlifting like any other weight sport um and honestly, like, you know, if you really want to throw anything under the bus, high school sports injury rate is like literally like four times worse than CrossFit. So like we should be throwing kids out of stuff like that if we're really worried. But anyway, um, so um, on the CrossFit thing, yes. Um, if I have, I mean, every person that comes in, I'm doing some kind of movement screening. Um, I'm going to base that movement screen based on, you know, what, functionally are their goals or what are they trying to get back to for the most part. Um, so a CrossFit athlete, you know, they're a little bit unique and they need a lot of range and a lot of directions, you know, they're, they need their large capacity over large times. Um, and so I'm going to look at an overhead squat with them, which I traditionally would not make my average patient do. Um, because most people are not overhead squatting, but they need that capacity. So they need shoulder range. They need that hip, they need ankle. So I'm going to make them squat in those positions so that I have an idea uh, of what I'm looking at. And then by the end, um, I'm for sure going to be watching them do those movements. Um, you know, like for example, I have uh, a CrossFit athlete that's got some shoulder stuff going on. And so we have been working towards overhead capacity so we kind of start baseline and start building that strength, getting back into overhead position. And then once we get back to those things, then I'm going to say, hey, you know, during your overhead squat, I see that you're dipping forward too much, which is throwing your shoulders really far behind you. Now we need to start looking down the chain and look at your ankles and your hips and figure out why your torso is leaning so far forward so that we can kind of deload your shoulder. Um, and so it's definitely with me because I don't require, you know, a script for a specific body part. I'm going to treat the whole person with that. Um, especially with those lifts because they're just, they're very complex and there's a lot of things that can happen. And so we're going to make sure and break down those lifts as much as we can. And I want to, I want to hit as many areas as I possibly can in that process too, because ideally I don't want to see them again. Um, for an injury, you know, like if they want to come to me for something else, that's perfectly fine. But ideally I want them better. And then, you know, bad business model. I never want to see you again. Um, not because I don't like you. Um, and then on the second part, um, yes, we, I, I mean, I see people that are perfectly fine that just want to come in and, you know, maybe they have some mobility issues or just struggle with like getting into the base of a squat or, positionally just struggle with something overhead, whatever it is. So I do have people who come that just, they don't have pain. They're just looking to just globally feel and move better. Um, and I think it's easier. It's much easier to catch people in that time frame. Um, it's definitely easier to prehab somebody, if you will, to create a little program for something that maybe they, you know, they have back problems that come up off and on. Uh, but they're not currently dealing with it. And we can kind of set up a program, hopefully to mitigate that risk. Um, you know, injury prevention is not, it's not a real thing, but we can at least reduce the risk for injury. So as much as I can help bring that scale down to where, you know, we minimize that risk as much as possible, I would much rather do that route. And it's much easier than you coming in two months after 
your low back is now fired up and we have to play the catch up game. Um, so with regards to the population that you work with, I know you work with mostly active um, patients, mm -hmm. um, but you also work with people who are looking to get back into the gym. Mm -hmm. And then if so, what would be the benefit to having them work with you as a physical therapist versus somebody like a personal trainer? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what I get people coming to me you know, if they're looking for that, I would say the most common reason people do that is because they're looking for somebody who has a little bit more knowledge to not get hurt. Um, I would say that's, that's the most common thing I hear coming from a client is that they wanted somebody And again, I'm not dogging on personal trainers. They have very good, you know, credentials, but sometimes people you know, when you go to a doctor, you know, you kind of take your doctor's word of advice because they, you just assume they know everything. And that kind of goes in our world too. When, you know, somebody comes to me and they're like, I want to get back into working out, but I just worry that I'm going to hurt myself. Those are the types of people that really gravitate towards having that kind of physical therapy and kind of strength and conditioning background where they feel, they just feel so much more comfortable with that. Um, Ideally, you know, I, I do train people. Um, I offer that as well. Just no, you know, no physical therapy part to it, just one-on-one -on -one training. Um, but I do, I have a network of trainers around town and I always love to kind of just get people started. And then if it's a better fit somewhere else, just location wise, I'm always going to try to send them that direction to a personal trainer because I just don't always feel that they need that network to me. I want people to feel independent and not just lean completely on the fact that they have me as a safety net. Cause I want to build people who feel comfortable and confident and independent in their life. And then on that note, what advice would you have for someone that is looking to be more active and get into the gym, but is maybe scared to, because it's been a while, maybe since high school or college, since they've really done any sort of like lifting or CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, accountability is big. So find a friend, um, is always a good thing. I mean, I would say that's one of the bigger ones. And then just honestly, you know, I think the fear to step foot in the gym is always about that. You're kind of like the loner that nobody else in the gym is doing what you're doing and everybody is, you know? Um, so to me, I'm kind of like, you just have to take that step, you know, that leap of faith. If you can get through that piece, there are a million other people in the gym trying to do the exact same thing as you are. So you are not this, you know, unicorn in the gym. It's more like the unicorns in the gym are the people who go five days a week and feel really comfortable there. The normal people are all of the people who do not feel comfortable in that space and are doing what they do not know all the things about it, you know? So that, that for me is the easiest step is just knowing like you aren't alone the smaller portion of that population is the people who are there all the time. You know, you're, you're in it with a whole bunch of other people who are just trying to just generally be more healthy. And then I know there's somewhat of a stigma with women in lifting weights and being in that gym setting. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit and why, why it's beneficial for the body to do strength training? Yeah. Um, that's one of the many things that drives me crazy. Um, yeah. So there's that kind of stigma that if you touch a weight as a female, you're immediately like going to look like a bodybuilder, um, and become super buff. 
Um, and you know, it's a, it's an interesting thing. I don't know. I don't know why that came about. I guess I don't, it's historically, we just didn't do well with the quality thing, I guess, or something. Um, but weightlifting in general, I mean, if we're just talking from a mortality rate, the more muscle you have as we age, the less likely you are to die from anything. Um, and that's all cause mortality. So heart disease, you know, you running away from a bear, like anything possible that could happen, they've shown the more muscle mass you can maintain, especially as you age, the less likely you are to die. Um, and so when I'm having that conversation with females, it's really hard to break the thought process that weightlifting is not going to equal bulkiness. Um, and that takes a ton of education. I wish I had like a straight shot answer for you on that one, but very rarely do I have a conversation with a lady who is like, I don't want to get bulky. And they just are like, Oh, I believe you that I won't get bulky. Um, it never happens that way. I wish it was that easy. And, you know, science doesn't really change people's minds because most lay people don't care, you know, what a scientific journal says. Um, and so that it's just a ton of education. Um, I kind of just sneak it in every once in a while, as much as I can, as I'm around them more often, just talking about the benefits of muscle and talking about, you know, even the older population is, so, you know, like, look at your mom, you know, if they're in their thirties or forties, and then, you know, look at your mom who's sixties, maybe even seventies. Um, and, you know, ask like, do they get around the way that you think they should, or are they struggling, you know, and then do you want that? You know, do you want that to be like your lifestyle or do you want to retire and that be actually be your golden years, you know, and not just because of the color of your pee, right? Like that's what a lot of elderly people will tell you. The only thing golden about their years is that, and that's not how this should be. You know, we've created this fragile mindset and, you know, I want to be the person who, you know, gained as much fitness as I could now, and then maintained it throughout my lifespan. So that when I retire, like I'm going to go hike mountains and stuff. Like I have zero, you know, motivation to go sit in the chair, you know, when that happens. And so you're just trying to kind of like real life situation, show people that. And then I do, you know, every once in a while, people just you have to have the conversation about, you know, like the people, the females that you see in the world that are bulky, that you think you're going to end up looking like realistically, there's a couple of things that happened. One, they're your Instagram fitness models and they're doing a lot extra than just working out. Um, there's a lot of money and a lot of extra supplementation that isn't legal that happens. <laughs> um, and two, the people, the natural ones, the actual ones who aren't on anything else, uh, they spend immense amount of times in the gym that none of you are actually going to do, um, you know, and they eat completely different than most people. Um, and they do it for a living, right? You know, so like CrossFit is a perfect example where most people are like, I don't want to look like, you know, Tia Claire or any of those people. Well, you won't look like her because you won't train like her. Um, she trains four to six hours a day and eats so clean that you could not live that way. Um, and her life is CrossFit. Yeah, she literally yeah. gets paid. She gets paid to look and be that person. Um, and so that was the long version of that conversation. But like I said, it's it's just not common that I can convince person, a, a female in one conversation that that doesn't happen. But I can, I mean, it just, 
strength is king, no matter who I'm talking to. Um, you know, you can have any kind of fitness routine that you want, but I will argue that if you're not strength training one to two times a week, that you are missing the boat by a lot. Um, if you're just running, not saying running is a bad thing, but if you're not running and strength training, you're missing it a big time. So but everything you, I was going to just say more of the comment is everything you said, I can, I was relating because I, um, the only reason I did CrossFit like four years ago was there was this comp, I don't say competition, but like you can get a two free month gym, you know, gym membership and uh -huh. why. And I just put it in, I'm like, I'll never win. And then I was like, shit, I won. And, <laughs> and so part of me excited. Then I was, the other part of me was like, damn it, I have to commit. And so like, I guess the other thing, I think it's just also personal because I had that fear because I walked in and at that, I was like 260 pounds. Everyone else was like super fit, like muscular. And they're like running around and I'm like, I could barely breathe. This is hard. But just like you said, like after a while, I just realized everyone else in that gym is also struggling just in their mm -hmm. own um, way. And then also... I did like the aspect of CrossFit where I was like fighting against myself, like trying to get the mm -hmm. better record and I wasn't getting, um, but with my personal issues was kind of what you said before is I was working out and I was like, I can't get why I'm not losing weight. Well, I was also eating terribly, like, and not sleeping well and anxiety and stress. And then, um, also just, um, yeah, I just started kind of get fear in my head and like, let it go. But then also with the weight training, um, that's always been stuck in my head too, where I never thought I was going to be buff, but I was just like, well, I need a, I need, I need to do more cardio. I have to do more cardio no matter what, but even with CrossFit or strength training, what I've noticed when I have done those small movements, it's, um, my back is better. I'm not having as much problems. Um, my problem now is I sit a lot and I know that I need to move more. And just like you said, with the elder years where um, part of why I want to do this podcast too, is both of my parents are deceased, but then uh, my mom sat all day. My mom didn't do anything, had tons of health problems. And I see a lot of people of my friends that their parents are in the sixties and seventies and they aren't moving and they don't want to do anything. And they're just kind of right. sitting there. But when you're talking about, I did see people in CrossFit gym where this woman, she was like six years old, running around, like she looked amazing. She had so much energy and yeah. I loved it. And I kind of like that point because I'm almost 40 and I shouldn't feel this tired. I shouldn't feel this exhausted and worn out. I should be like running around and crazy. And I feel like that's what a lot of people are just sedentary and mm -hmm. just sitting there. So I do appreciate like what you said. And I guess my point was, I agree with you, even though I'm one of the people that I'll do it, but then I kind of backslide and I'm trying to slowly kind of go back into that fitness world. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, CrossFit, I think one thing, the CrossFit community that we could do better is, you know, have a little bit more education coming into it. Cause I think we lose a lot of people one because of the name um, for whatever reason that just turns people off. I don't know what it is. It was like somebody got injured and now CrossFit's horrible. Um, but I wish that there was a conversation to set the stage that, 
you know, when, when we program a class, you know, we're programming for the highest level athlete, right? And there's a very specific stimulus that we're looking for, you know? So for example, like a workout, like Fran, um, so we're talking 21 pull-ups and 21 thrusters and then 15, 15, nine, nine, and you're just going as hard as you can, as fast as you can. And the, the goal of that workout is for you to go hard and fast, right? And so it's a short workout, you know, we're talking under 10 minutes, if we can keep it in that time frame, maybe even less than that. Um, and your just goal is to rest as little as possible and push as hard as possible. So they're going to set the standards on that. Your, your standard person who can perform that at the specific stimulus is going to do it with pull-ups and they're going to do it with 95 pounds on the bar for men. And they're going to do it at that rate. The beauty of that is that in order for every person to reach the stimulus we're wanting, everybody's going to do it different. You're going to have some athletes who do it at that position for somebody who's not familiar with CrossFit. Maybe they're doing ring rows and they're doing squats with no weight on the bar. They're doing a thruster with no weight, but from a heart rate perspective and intensity perspective, that high level athlete and that other person who's doing the scaled version, they're getting the exact same workout intensity. It just looks different because they scaled the workout differently. So that's the goal as we're programming is that no matter where you fall in that scaling situation, the person who's scaled to the max, who is doing nothing that looks like what the programmed workout was, they're getting the exact same intensity of workout as that top level athlete is as well. And that is a piece I think that we don't explain super well in CrossFit as people come into the gym. I think the people that are in the gyms that have been crossfitting, they kind of understand that and know that scaling is not a bad thing. Um, but people coming in think like you need to be at the RX and you really don't. Most people shouldn't be. Honestly, I don't RX all the time. I could, but I know I shouldn't because if you do, your body is going to eventually tell you that's not a good situation. Um, so I think in that world, that's really tough. And if we would do that, people would feel much more comfortable coming in knowing that, wow, I'm getting the same intensity of workout, even though it looks completely different. And that's really the important part and kind of the cool part of CrossFit, the way it should be. Um, and then, you know, on the, the calorie thing, you know, with cardio, like cardio is a big thing. Um, I tell everybody like cardio running, all those things is cardiovascular or cardiorespiratory training. We don't run to lose weight. Um, that's the problem with kind of the fitness world now is we use cardio to lose weight for fat loss. That's not what those things were meant for. They're meant to train your cardiorespiratory system, your ability or your body's ability to get oxygen to your muscles to function over a longer period of time. That is the definition of what cardio training is. It's not for fat loss. It has nothing to do with that. We just use it that way. And it's really a pretty inefficient thing for fat loss. Um, more muscle mass is important for that because the more muscle mass you carry, the higher your base metabolic rate is going to be. So over a longer period of time, you're going to burn more calories sitting in a chair because you have more muscle mass. So that's a really important thing for me. That's another one that I add on with talking with females, more muscle, more calorie burn, more lean. Right. And that's always the big thing is people want to lose weight. Um, but that's a big aspect that we really have kind of dropped the ball on in the fitness world is pounding cardio as weight loss. And that's really, that's not what it's about. 
is about training your, your body to be better at it. And then using strength training and your diet, how you eat for the weight loss part. Yeah. And Candace, I know you mentioned like some of your lifestyle factors and Gavin, I know that you talked about how you also build that into your treatment plan. Can you maybe give us like an example treatment plan? So like, what are some of those red flags that you look for? How do you address those? How do you address it within a gym setting? Can you walk us through that? Maybe an example of a typical one that you might put together? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the plans can kind of vary as far as time frame, um, depending on the person, you know, and so that the, the length of time that any plan is going to go varies person to person, you know, every person I, that comes in, I say, I'd love to know how long this is going to take, but you're unique. Um, and the last person that I saw that had a similar injury to you could have a completely different outcome as far as time frame for that. So I try not to like set people up too much in a perfect world because I know every person is different. Um, but when I meet people, you know, my first, always first thing that I want to try to dive into, if I don't know the person from the gym personally, um, is I'm going to dive into like, why are you even here? You know, why me, why this route, why not normal healthcare? Um, because I think motivation is a really key component to knowing, you know, why people want to get better. Um, and so I always try to get, I call it kind of like the three whys. So I'm going to ask somebody, you know, why, why do you want your shoulder to feel better? You know, and they'll give me kind of some generic answer of like, well, I want to be able to work out in the gym. Like, well, why is working out to you, you know, an important aspect of your life. And, you know, maybe that kind of comes down to, well, I want to be healthy so I can, you know, feel better. I'm like, well, why is your health important to you? Like, why are these things important? Like, oh, well, I have, you know, two kids and a wife and, you know, I want to be able to run around with my kids and do these things. Like that's, that's the motivation of why you're here. You know, it's not the gym. It's not this stuff. Like you need to link that piece in your head to that's why you're here. You know, that's the real reason behind your motivation. And it's helpful to have that because then people are like, Oh, I didn't, I guess I didn't know that. Like, this is actually more than just like, I want to feel better. This is like, I want to feel better for people in my life. Um, and so just giving that real life perspective. So that's always a big thing for me is kind of diving into that piece. And then I can piece together some of the other things in their life for there. Um, so, you know, with the kid example like that, it's really easy to say, Hey man, like you got two kids. How, how does your schedule at home look like? You know, what's, what time are you getting to bed at night? Do you consistently go to bed and wake at the same time? And like, I know, you know, th those are always really easy ones to open up because I know with having a child, it's chaotic. You know, you don't get to bed when you want to, and you get woke up when you don't want to get out of bed. Um, so that opens that can of being able to have that conversation also molds really well into the nutrition thing too. Like I get it. Um, your kids are having mini corn dogs and so are you. <laughs> um, and uh, that's fine. You know, I'm not going to spend time like bashing any of those things, but it at least gives me a really easy way to start diving into what does your lifestyle look like? And then talk about, you know, how's work with, you know, you have your kids. So do you work from home? Or are you having to go, go and pick them up? What's your, you know, are you sedentary at work? Are you moving? What, the, what does that piece look like too? Um, so I can get kind of those things in the forefront of my mind as we start building the plan, because those things all matter. You know, I need to know 
you know, what's, what's something in their life that I can target? You know, if sleep is an absolute no, if they're like, this is too chaotic, I can get six hours and that's literally all I can get. I get that. You know, I have a three-year-old, I understand it's hard. So I'm maybe not going to target that right away, but maybe I can get them to make a little bit different choice at work, what their snack is, you know, or something like that. Or I can reduce how much sugar you're eating in a day because sugar is a huge factor in the inflammatory markers that are going to be in your body. So let's bring that down. That's going to help bring your overall inflammation down. That's going to help the recovery process. Um, and so I spend, I say I spend a lot of time educating people, honestly. Um, my sessions are always an hour. And so I think that's an important part. Sometimes like we're talking for 30 minutes about just lifestyle factors that we can change that will easily, you know, reduce how long it's going to take them to recover from that process. And then hopefully build, you know, lifelong factors that they can take into their life and reduce, you know, the risk of injury from that aspect too. Cause something as simple as sleep, if you start sleeping less than seven hours a night, that exponentially starts to increase your risk for injury just by sleeping an hour less. Um, and so just simple things like that, especially for people who are active, that matters a lot. You know, if you can say, Hey, if you get seven hours of sleep, if you can, you know, if you've got kids, I get it. But if you can get that extra hour, that's going to significantly reduce your risk for injury. And that's a super simple fix. Doesn't require anything other than you can keep your eyes closed for a little bit longer, you know, sleep a little bit longer. There's no effort into that necessarily. Um, and so that's how I'm going to hit those outside factors. And then we're going to use, you know, I use, I dry needle, I cup, I do all those different hands-on techniques, adjusting people, all that stuff. Um, but my goal is always use those techniques to get people in the gym. Um, we've become very passive in nature. I would say just as humanity, we're consumers. We like to consume everything and then we don't want to like do anything. Um, and passive treatment, I, is, I don't think is appropriate in any kind of healthcare setting. I don't care what you do. Um, only passively treating somebody does not change anything. Um, and we know pretty well from a research standpoint, and I have this conversation with my patients so they know up front, you know, that, that dry needling, that cupping, that scraping, that me adjusting your neck, all these things like literally actually don't make you better. Um, they do have the ability to change your perception of pain. Um, but the thing that actually makes you better is you moving and you working out and loading the tissues. And so I use those passive treatments to change somebody's pain level so I can get them out into the gym and get them working out, doing the things that are actually going to help them heal. So that's kind of the process in a long nugget. I do like to, like you, um, kind of what I got, what you're saying as well is I'm someone, and I think a lot of America is very much when you want to do a weight loss plan or a workout plan, you're like, I'm in it all 100%. And then you're go, go, go. And then when you're not getting the week one or week two results, you're, you're like, I'm done. And so yeah. I've done that. And I hate that. I, I hate to admit that I've done that. But I do like what you said, like you'll do a little bit small changes. And then in the end, I'm sure it's, it, it does, it's beneficial and it does help mm -hmm. whoever you're, you're taking care of. Right. And it's, you know, I, I like to use diet as a great example because we've all done that. We've all went on some diet, some fad diet out there, a six week program and done exactly that. We went hundred percent 
into it and maybe you went through the whole thing and then you come out of it and you're like back to normal, right? Like it's really hard to make those drastic changes. They just don't work. And so I, you know, sustainability for me and consistently are consistency are the big things. You know, I want to build habits out of people and I want to give them tools that they can sustain for their entire life. Um, you know, cause like I said, my, my end goal as bad as it sounds for a business is I don't want to see people again because I didn't do my job. You know, at the end of the day, I hope to, you know, make each and every person that sees me into their own physical therapist so they can take care of themselves. So if they have a little flare up, which they will, you know, the moment you become injured, you know, so if you have low back pain or an issue, it automatically increases your risk for having that same issue again. You know, that's just scientifically how the body works. So I know from a standpoint that they've came in, they're already now at increased risk for it happening again. Why not let me hand you a toolbox that you can take with you for the rest of your life. So if you ever start to notice something to happen, you just take those tools out and you just start hammering back and then you can take care of yourself. You know, it's that independence thing in confidence in your ability to take care of yourself and not need me. I really like how you talk about you start your treatment plan with figuring out the intrinsic motivation for a person. So what is driving them to want to see this change? Mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of times people want a quick fix. And I, I think that sometimes people don't want to be held accountable and they just want to go to somebody else and have somebody else fix their problem for them. Mm -hmm. And they, I, I see sometimes people have resistance to taking that on themselves because it's much easier just to go get a prescription, take a pill and not have to think about it or change your life. And I, I think that can be really hard. Mm -hmm. Do you have, see these struggles with people that you work with and how do you go about working with them to overcome these struggles? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the the million dollar question, right? Um, especially in my world, um, you know, so I'm cash based, I don't do anything with insurance companies. So there's that huge barrier of just educating people because it's now they have to buy into the process completely. Um, and they do have, you know, they literally have financial investment into the process on top of, you know, kind of skin in the game, right? Um, so there's a couple of things. Um, I, you know, when I'm talking with people, I'm as much interviewing the person as they're as much interviewing me. Um, and to be honest, without, you know, coming off as sounding like an asshole, um, some people just aren't for me. Um, you know, there, there is just a certain population of people that I'm not willing to take their money just because that I, I can get the vibe that they aren't going to give the effort necessary to get better using my system. Um, and that's perfectly fine. You know, I want to be respectful of people's time as much as they are of mine, that sometimes I do have to have that conversation and say, you know, I know some PTs that are going to mesh better with your system. Um, and that's the route that's going to be better for you. Because I, like I said, I can't, I didn't get into this side of things to just take people's money for fun. Um, you know, I actually do really care about getting people better and creating habits and helping people that direction. So there are some of those occasions where that process looks like that. Um, you know, on the other side, I think just 
you know, having real conversations with people um, is one of the big steps and just, you know, being real with what the process looks like um, and making sure people know that it does take work. You know, I think that setting the, the stage early is very helpful so that people, you know, like with your quick fixes, people just like, you're set up thinking you're going to be cured. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I've like gone like 60 times. Like what happened? Um, you know, because they just, they didn't have it set up in the first place saying like, Hey, this is going to work for like a day maybe. Um, and then you're going to have to come back and see me repetitively. Um, and so that standard like doesn't get set. And so with people initially, like I'm right away having conversations about like, you know, this process is hard. Um, I, I will never tell anybody that this is easy. It's a commitment. It is, you know, the effort that you put into your workout, you know, or your job, like that's the kind of effort it's going to take for you to really commit and get better in this process. And I'm going to help you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to be your accountability person. I'm going to be your support. I'm going to be your cheerleader. I'm going to be what you need. Um, but I can only be there for so much of the time. Um, and I need you to invest hundred percent into it because that's what it's going to take for you to get better. But I can tell you that you will get better and stronger. And by the end of this, you will be not just, you know, symptomatically out of this situation. You're just going to be an overall more robust human being. You know, you're going to be better than what you were before. Um, and so sitting down and just kind of setting those stages early is helpful for people to kind of get over that barrier. I do think that people are wanting to be more preventive with their healthcare and they're wanting to identify what the root cause is and they're wanting to get treatment plans that address the root cause rather than just um, cover it up with a Band-Aid. And um, I guess to summarize everything that we've talked about, um, how would you describe your ideal form of healthcare? Yeah. Um, so I think in a perfect world, you know, healthcare, I mean, it starts with you, you know, you, you are your own best health advocate. Um, and so, you know, I think at baseline healthcare starts with educating the mass about you know, just the lifestyle factors that actually matter. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't know necessarily how that starts, but I think it just, we need to instill it in the schools somehow, you know, we need to start them very young and teach them, you know, what really what healthcare means is eating right, you know, making good choices a good amount of time. It's not saying you can't have a donut and do the thing. Like I'm a hundred percent on board for that, but just teaching people, you know, Eat, healthy eating habits takes care of your body, which is going to lead to less disease issues later on and start laying those foundations of talking about like most kids don't know anything about how sleep affects their performance other than that they're more tired throughout the day, but they don't, you know, as kids, we have no clue the detrimental effects of not getting enough sleep. And, you know, sleep is the thing, like you can't just make that up. You know, once you lose an hour of sleep, it's gone. Like you don't get that back. Um, and so using, you know, some type of foundational system where we're getting those roots light early because, you know, today's doctor is not going to have that conversation with you, or at least not a very in-depth one. Um, and then honestly, kind of in a, in a reverse of how we picture healthcare now, 
you know, I really think that your personal trainer, your, you know, fitness guru kind of people should be the first step kind of in that process, uh, at least in the orthopedic range, I should say there, there are definitely times when like you need to go to the hospital, um, you know, or whatever situation. But if we're talking just from, you know, a general health practitioner situation, you know, I think coaches and those people should be our first level. Um, and then if they, you know, the people that see you every day, I guess, if you want to think of it that way. So it could be if you're a CrossFitter, it's your CrossFit coach, you have personal training, your coach there. Um, if you're an athlete, you know, that coach, like those people that see you frequently and kind of know your body a little bit more than like the average person. Um, and then if they don't, you know, if it's not something that they can adjust, if it's not a lifestyle factor that they can dive into, then let's start talking about like, let's level you up into the movement pro, you know, so a PT, a chiropractor, you know, somebody, an ATC, somebody who's kind of that next level up that now can add that medical layer on without throwing you to the wolves of like true healthcare system stuff. Because those people, you know, we know very well that PTs and chiros, we can diagnose stuff um, pretty dang well, honestly, better than physicians. Um, statistically speaking, from for orthopedics, we're way better at it, um, honestly. Uh, but, you know, again, that is a whole different situation. Um, but anyway, so, you know, get to that level and then let us figure out where do you need to go? You know, cause we're, we're really good level of person to say, Hey, I think you qualify for conservative care. I think I can take care of this or, Hey, you're past what I can do. Now let's step foot into your PA your nurse practitioner, your doc, whoever we need to set foot in, and then let's actually get them into the system. And that's more of an appropriate line, I think, because then we're kind of getting rid of the waste. Like right now we have a lot of healthcare waste, right? Like we're x-raying and MRIing every person that walks in the door. And that's thousands and thousands of dollars that are just getting thrown at stuff that are literally pointless for people. They actually cause way more damage um, than they actually help with because once somebody gets an MRI back that says they have a bulging disc, they are gonna personify right on that thing and that's all their problems. And if that's fixed, then their life goes away. Well, then they find out that didn't actually cause all the pain. Um, and just all the medication too. I mean, we are heavily over-medicated. That's just an understatement. Um, and it would just help mitigate all those things. Cause we could say, Hey, like, I think you can get away with not going here, or maybe you do need surgery. You know, we can dictate that pathway, refer people into the system and just bring down that number of how many people are walking into a doctor's office. And I also think just from the physician standpoint that we could reduce the load, you know, a lot of people are getting burned out in healthcare, you know, and I think if we kind of reverse that order, that we could help reduce the load of some of those people that are just getting hammered right now. A lot of it starts with the culture change, even, you know, for our kids, right? Like you hear them talking about in school about food neutrality. There's no bad foods. All foods are, you know, just as good as any other food. And, um, you know, kids are being overscheduled. You hear about kids coming home and doing homework and having basketball practice and different things till 10 PM at night. So they're not sleeping well. And, they're not teaching kids about the body and how the body works and how to be a good steward of your body and take care of yourself. So yeah, I think that those are all 
awesome points you made. And yeah, I definitely agree that I think it starts with the whole culture change and a culture mindset that we all need to take a step back and, you know, even start with our kids and looking at what we're teaching them, because that's really where your habits start to become formed is when you're a kid. And, you know, I even know with myself, right? Like you get used to the go, go, go and busy all the time. And you don't know how to slow down and be still and give your body rest when you need to rest. And that's hard to relearn sometimes as an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think to be able to change that with our, starting with our kids would be a step in the right direction for setting us up for more success to be healthier um, in the future. Because I think what they say, like our children's generation is the first generation that's projected where they're not going to outlive their parents, Right. which I think is crazy. Yeah, it's scary. You know, I really, something that you know, having a three-year-old that kind of hit home is, um, oh my gosh, I'm trying to think of the, there's the, is it the movie Wally? I think is what it's called. Are you guys familiar with that? Yeah. yeah. So like towards, you know, they get into space and every, all the humans are living on space and every one of them can't walk, right? Because they literally, you know, it's so far into the future and everything is consumerism. They become so obese that they can't get out of their chairs. And that they no longer want to, you know, and I think like, that's literally like where we're headed. Yeah. You know, like in that movie came out 15 years ago, you know, or whatever that was. And I was like, they literally are showing like the future of where we're headed. You know, they're talking, you know, in the realm of like 2050 that, you know, over 50% of the population is going to be considered obese or sedentary or however you want to rate that. And that is just a wild statistic to me. Um, and so, like you said, it, it starts with kids. I'm a big believer. I mean, my daughter, she comes to the gym. Like, I don't, I don't care how old your kid is. Like, they can go to the gym. You know, she's three and she knows how to do toes to bar and she can deadlift a 20 pound kettlebell off the ground safely. I'll go to bat on that argument with any person in the world. Your kids need to be active. You need to be instilling those habits. And for the most part, when I see that resistance of people, it's because the parents don't want to do it. Um, it's not necessarily that the, the kids don't want to, it's a hundred percent of the parents aren't willing to put in the effort, um, to just teach their kids some, some decent habits, you know, and I, I a hundred percent agree. There's so much that we could instill in our kids, you know, and it, I'm not saying, you know, they need to know the difference between carbs and fats and things like that. And that, you know, even calling a food bad and good, you know, kind of gets a little muddled and can create maybe some, you know, eating habits that aren't healthy for people, but just giving them an idea of like, Hey, you know, eat these kinds of fuel, these foods, these really help fuel your body. These foods are kind of like your fun foods, you know, like we don't eat these foods all the time, but we can have them once in a while kind of as a for fun thing, but like eat mostly these things. You know, and just start building those foundations early. Cause like you said, that's where the habits are built and they're really hard to break as they get older. And I think even like teaching our kids to listen to our bodies, right? Because like yeah. our bodies are trying to communicate with us and telling us what's wrong. And so I think if you can start that at a young age, like, well, how did you feel after you ate three donuts versus how did you feel after you ate dinner, which consisted of meat and vegetables and 
you know, healthy right. carbs, right? That if you can teach yourself and teach your kids how to listen to your body and how you feel after doing certain things, how did you feel after you sat all day versus how did you feel when you took a walk over lunch? Um, I think that can also go a long ways as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge, I mean, I tell, I say that all the time, like, listen to your body. It literally speaks to you, you know, like pain, you know, is a great example. It's, it's not necessarily that you're injured, but pain is literally, you know, your body telling you like, Hey, something needs to change. Like something's happening here, you know, and we need to address this. You know, it's just, we've become such a culture to just not listen to anything. And like you said, just go, go, go. And if you just slow down and like, listen, usually your body will tell you what it wants. Like, does it want rest? Well, do you feel freaking fatigued all the time? You know, and like, it, it talks to you. It lets you know, like, do you feel better when you do these things? If you eat these foods, if you move this way, if you don't sit on your butt all day, like it will tell you exactly what it craves. We just have to actually slow down and just listen to what it's telling us. Well, I love what you're doing. I love your method and your approach and everything that you're advocating for. I think you are an awesome resource to have in the community. And, you know, I'm glad that you're here in Omaha and helping serve the population that we have here. Um, where can people find you if they want to schedule an appointment with you? Yeah, I mean, Instagram's the easiest place to find me. Um, if anybody wants to jump on, I try to post plenty of kind of semi-educational stuff on there, I guess. Um, otherwise, uh, my website has links into um, email and how you can get a hold of scheduling there. I usually love to jump on a call first just because I like to get to know people um, and kind of lay down the process before they come in. But those are the two easiest places. So um, Instagram website has my email and anybody can reach out that way. Okay. And we will also include those links in the show notes. Um, that way it's easy Perfect. for our listeners to find. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on and and giving people information about physical therapy and just health. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. I know, you know, physical therapy is not something people care to talk about, you know, like we're not as cool as Kairos, you know, like they just have done better marketing, right? Um, but no, I really appreciate it. And I love to talk about it. So, you know, my big thing, like fitness is healthcare. Like if I can, if I can let anybody remember anything, that's, that's what I want people to remember, so. Mm -hmm.